You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I need everybody that has one to open your Bible app. Turn it on. For those of you that are old-fashioned, open your Bible and find Matthew chapter 11. I'll meet you there in just a moment. As we begin a brand new year, we're beginning a brand new four-part series called Simply Church. That word simply may sound familiar because you remember back in the fall we did a series called Simply Pray. So you say, why don't you use another word? It's because I like things simple. And that was the best word I could think of. And my heart and my mind has really been captured by this word. I need to simplify my life. Am I the only one? Is there anybody here that feels like your life is a little too complicated? It's a little too compressed. You're a little overcommitted. You've got a limited amount of resources and the opportunities are abundant. And that's the reason we're doing this series. And that's why we're doing what we do every Sunday morning. Another reason we've chosen this series is because I truly believe there are many people who gather together in the church that don't really know what It is. We don't know what we're doing. And there are some people who chose not to be a part of church this morning because they wrongly think church is hard. Church is too complicated. And they see it as something that if they were to embrace it, it would overly complicate their already overly complicated life. And so we're trying to erase the myth. As a matter of fact, if we do church simply, it will actually simplify your life. And so that's what we're going to be learning. And one of the ways that we're going to do that over the next four weeks is we are going to look at some of the simplest statements Jesus ever made. And so we're going to learn about simply church. And we're going to embrace Simply Church. All of us have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of money, a limited amount of energy, and a limited amount of love. And in 2018, you will choose what you give your love, your energy, your time, and your money to. Now, even people that have gathered together in church today may say or believe that those resources are available to my church As long as I have some left over after I've already given it to every other thing I'm involved in. We're trying to reverse that and we want to make sure that we embrace simply church first because that's what Jesus gave his life to. And I want you to see that here from a very simple statement. And I got to warn you this morning, I've got a long introduction this morning, okay? So we're going to get to Matthew 11 here in just a moment. But I want to give you this very familiar phrase. It's one of the most often repeated scriptures around here if you've come to Harvest for any time at all. We have learned from the beginning, this year we will celebrate our ninth anniversary. And we believed nine years ago that Jesus would be in the process of fulfilling this promise if we planted this church in Granger. He said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One of the things that is a reality about this verse is that the church 
simply church will always be opposed. Spiritual forces will try to make church too complicated, too hard, and will try to destroy it. But the promise of Jesus is that will never happen because if Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, how many of you think Jesus got enough energy to make that happen? And he has been doing that here in this local congregation. The fact that you are here is evidence that Jesus is fulfilling that promise. Now, that is a very familiar statement, but I want you to look at the word church in this statement. Of course, we're reading an English translation of the Greek that was written by an actual historical author named Matthew. Jesus probably spoke that in Aramaic. Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, wrote it in Greek. And the word that he chose in Greek for the word that we see now in English is a word in Greek that reads like this. Jesus said, I will build my ekklesia. Everybody turn to your neighbor right now and say the Greek word ekklesia. You got it? Don't you just feel more spiritual speaking Greek? I mean, it's just if you want to impress your friends, just speak a little Greek. Now, I don't really know Greek. I have to read to other people that teach me these things. But uh, this word ecclesia is incredibly important if you want a proper understanding of what it means simply to be church. Because that word you keep using, it may not mean what you think it means. Ecclesia, what does it mean? Now, this is, this is a very important word here. It comes from two Greek words. As, as, uh, as we read it, we need to understand the, 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 the first syllable, ek, just simply means out of. And the second part of that, uh, kaleo, that we translate this word into, means to call. So the word ecclesia simply means the called out of those who are called out. That's what a church is. Simply the called out. That's what it means. Now, let me illustrate this for you here. Uh, Jordan and, and uh, um, Bryce, come up here for a second. And uh, Maggie and Emma, come up here for a second. Come to me quickly, quickly, quickly. Come to me. Okay, come here. All right. Now, uh, I want you to stand together here. And of course, Jordan and Bryce will immediately embrace one another because they're newlyweds. And, um, and they're sisters, and so they're not going to do that at all. Okay, so now, what, do you know what I've just created? I have created an ecclesia. Simply, the called out ones, okay? Now, I want Maggie and Emma to go back to the seats you were in. I want Bryce and Jordan to go back to the seats you were in. What you are observing now is the mission of the called out ones. Because the ecclesia is not only called out from, it is sent back into. That is the word that we use when we describe church. Now, unfortunately, very few people use church in those terms. When you think of church, you probably think of a place. J.D. Greer points out in his book, Jesus Continued, that over the years, a terrible thing happened to Christians' concept of church. You see, in the Middle Ages, people began to believe, uh, began to think of church as a place rather than 
a movement called out, sent in, called out, sent in. That's what the term ecclesia means. And yet it began to be thought of as more of a place. As a matter of fact, by the time they translated the English, the word that they chose for church came from a German word that we used for church. And the German word means a sacred place. And it missed the meaning of what it means to be simply church, simply a movement. And so um, God did an amazing thing around that same time. It was about that time that William Tyndale, one of the early reformers, began to work on an English translation of the Bible. And every time he came to this word ecclesia in the New Testament, which, by the way, is used 114 times in our New Testament. When he began to translate it into the English, he refused to use the word church from the German word, meaning a sacred place. Instead, he used the word congregation or an assembly, because that is literally what it means. An, a, a called out group, a group sent back in. And so he used the word assembly. And when he did so, he frustrated the leaders of the church so bad. You know why? Because William Tyndale understood you can control a place, but you can't control a movement. And so as you begin to think about what it means to be simply church, I want you to stop thinking of church as a place. Jesus did not come to build a place. Jesus came to start a movement of calling people out and sending people back in. We are called out to gather an assembly and then we are sent back in on mission. You could kind of very simply define the movement of a church we gather, we move in, we grow, we move up, and then we go, we are sent in. We gather, we grow, we go. We gather, we grow, we go. We're always moving, moving. And when you stop moving, you stop the mission and the movement that Jesus started. The moment you start to think of church as a place, is the moment you stall the movement. And so if we're going to get church right, we have to start thinking differently about what this thing is that we call church. It is not a place. Of course, we have a place where we gather. We need a facility. We need an address. We need a, a place, and especially in modern Western American culture, it would be nice if it had electricity. And if you live in northern Indiana, you need some heat. And so we need to make sure that's working. And maybe we can scrape off a place for your cars because we live in the culture that we drive cars to a place to gather for worship. But if that's all you do, you don't understand you are on a movement being sent back in on the mission that Jesus started. And so the purpose and the mission that Jesus is on is calling people out to be on mission. So that's what it means to be church. Now let's talk about this word simply. Such an important word. Now let me just tell you that uh, simple in our culture is back in style. Have you noticed? 
You see, we live in a, a very consumer-oriented, um, retail, capitalistic culture. And so there are always new products being made available. And we like new stuff. And so we consume new stuff and we upgrade stuff. Even when we don't need it, we'll trade in one thing that's working perfectly into another thing that's working perfectly. And we didn't need to upgrade. It was just available. And so what we've done is we've overcrowded our closets. We've overcrowded our garages. Some of us have more than one home, more than one room. We've got rooms we don't need. We, we've got everything that you add complicates your life. And some of you could stand and say, my life used to really be simple when I was a broke college student. And now that I've, I'm successful and I've got an income and I've got expenses, it just seems like it's so much harder. That's right. And so do you know what people are intentionally doing? They are learning to simplify. As a matter of fact, even businesses are producing um, books and seminars on how to simplify your business so it can be more effective and you can be more focused on things that are the most important things. Technology companies like Apple and Google are clearing away the clutter so you can focus just on the thing that is most necessary. Chip and Joanna Gaines have figured this out. Just when you're fixing it up, just do it simple. And there are things in the world just real simple. Just, just give it to me in a real simple thing. It's in fashion to be simple. And it spills over into the church. I've got to tell you, just a little sneak behind the curtain. If you could come here on Monday through Friday and sit in some of the meetings that we have as staff and elders, they would tell you one of the most often repeated words in our staff meeting is simple because as this thing has gotten bigger and there are more opportunities and there's more staff and there's more ministries and there's more of you to organize and to move in and out and up and all of those things, it can get real complicated. We'll sit down with a calendar on the wall and before any one of our staff is allowed to put anything on the church calendar, we ask this question. Is your activity going to accomplish and accelerate the movement that we are on? And what is the movement? We're making disciples. That's the only thing we do around here. We're making disciples. And so if your activity or your group or your plan or your idea, as wonderful as it may be, if it is not going to accelerate the movement, all you are doing is cluttering up the calendar and you are overcomplicating this thing that we are called to do. And so we are committed to being simply church so that you as a disciple, as a member of this church, can be on the one mission that we are on. We're not gonna do anything if it doesn't accomplish and accelerate the movement. Simple is an essential quality if the church is going to survive a complicated world. And there are only church, the only churches that are actually vibrant and growing in our culture are simple churches. Um, one of the books that uh, I dove into um, before we launched the church, and I just absorbed this book, is a book by Tom Rainer and Eric Geiger called Simple Church. And as I read this book, I just absorbed that DNA and I was like, yes. This is what I want our church to be. We know what we are doing. 
We know how we're going to do it and we know why we're doing it. And we're going to do it in a way that we don't get diverted into all kinds of other different things to do. And I got to tell you, it is hard. It is complicated to be a simple church because so many of you have so many good ideas and we can't do everything. We can do a lot of things really kind of average or we can do a few things really well. And so we're going to do a few things really, really well. I didn't grow up in a church like this. Now, I didn't really go to church until I was about 15. But when I got saved, I dove into the church. I love church. This was my Sunday morning. OK, now our church had two Sunday morning services. I wanted to be a part of both of them because I didn't want to miss anything. So I showed up at eight o'clock for the first service. I sat right there on the front row. Nobody else was there. I was right there. I was taking my notes. And then at 930, we went to Sunday school. And I, and, and, and I taught Sunday school. I was part of a Sunday school. And so there was a completely different Bible lesson in Sunday school as there was in the, the worship service, right? And then at 11 o'clock was the second worship service. Well, I sang in the choir for that one. So I went and I sang in the choir and listened to the same message that the preacher preached in the 8 o'clock service. And I took notes again. And then at 4.30, I came back because this was back in my, my high school years. We had youth choir practice. So at 4.30, we had youth choir practice. Then at 5.30, we had discipleship training. And so there was another Bible lesson during that time. And then at 7 o'clock, we had church again with another sermon by the pastor. And so by the end of the day, I had been in five different Bible studies and I was a little exhausted at the end of the day. That didn't deter me because at six o'clock on Tuesday night, we had visitation, which meant that all of the really faithful evangelistic people wanted to go share the gospel with all the people that visited our church on Sunday. So we got a print out of the people that came on Sunday and we got that. And we got their addresses. And so we went to their houses. We knocked on their doors. Can we talk to you about Jesus? Thank you for visiting us. We're returning the favor, visiting you. And so we want to tell you about Jesus. And so we tried to lead a few people to the Lord. And that was an amazing time. And then Wednesday night, you had to be back at five o'clock because there was church supper. And then at 530, there was planning meeting. If you were a Sunday school teacher. And so you had to get your people together and, and figure out what you were going to teach on Sunday. And then at six o'clock was prayer meeting, which was just a mask for another sermon that the pastor was going to preach in the midweek. And then you came back on Sunday and you did it all over again after you went to the fellowship on Friday night and tried to go on a mission trip on Saturday in between. Simple church? No. And I remember going for about three or four years and then finally coming home exhausted. I'm like, what are we doing? And yet I wanted to give my life to, to leading one of these things, Simply Church. How do you do that? Well, there are so many good things that you can do, but we want to do church simply and be on mission, moving toward the thing that Jesus is building. He's not building a place. He's building a movement. Now, listen. When you hear the word simple, that does not mean it's easy. As a matter of fact, anybody who has ever seriously followed Jesus and taken up your cross, denied yourself and followed Jesus knows that is a daily hard thing to do. But listen, not doing it is even harder. If you think following Jesus is hard, just talk to some people who don't and listen to how hard their lives are. 
And so we want to look over the next few weeks at some of the simplest statements that Jesus made. And I want you to see it here. First of all, in Matthew chapter 11, let's just read these three simple verses quoting Jesus beginning in verse 28. Jesus said, come to me. Does that sound simple? Just come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. First thing I want you to notice here is a simple admission. And the admission I want you to come to is this. I'm restless. Do you see the word rest in here? Now, most of us think about taking a nap, going on vacation, laying in a hammock. He's talking about rest, notice, for your souls. Augustine said that our souls are restless until they find their rest in Jesus. No matter what else you try, even if you try vacations, even if you try to take a nap, even if your body is physically rested, there is a restlessness in your soul until you come to Jesus. And do you know what that restlessness causes you to do? It causes you to labor, to try to find the rest that your soul is desperately looking for. He describes it as a heaviness. He's inviting people who feel this restlessness, this weariness, this exhaustion of working to find something to calm your soul to bring peace where there's chaos, to bring simplicity to this overly complicated, overly crowded schedule that you have. And you will wear yourself out working for it until you find your rest in coming to Jesus. He describes this labor. It's working to the point of exhaustion to accomplish an impossible task. He describes this heavy laden pressure, this weightiness. It's a pressure from an impossible journey. Every now and then around this time of year, I see families going on family vacation, you know, and, and they've packed the minivan as, with all the stuff. And the smaller the kids are, the bigger the stuff is that has to go with it, right? And you have to pack it in there. And, and you got the big, you know, eggshell thing on top of the camper. And you look at the, the tires of the, the minivan are all weighted down and everything. That's what it feels like if you don't come to Jesus for your rest. There's three sources I would identify for this weariness, for this restlessness. First of all is just the daily struggle of living in a broken world. 
The more responsibilities you have, the more pressures you have, the more kids you have, the more jobs you have, the more income you have, the more expenses you have, the, the more extended family you have, the more square footage you have in your home, the more homes that you have, the more bills you have to pay, the more classes you have at school. Is anybody getting exhausted here in my list? You feeling the weight? You feeling the weight of all that? Do you know what it is? That's called being human. And it's also called living in America because more opportunity creates more weight and more pressure. If you live in a third world country, your life is pretty simple. Find food. Go to Liberia. It's real simple. Just, just work enough to get a little bit of income so I can buy one meal for my family. A little bag of rice somewhere. Find a little water that's clean and doesn't have bacteria in it. But because of where we live, it can be overwhelming and church is no longer simple. As a matter of fact, you think, I don't have time for church. I'm too busy for church. I'm too busy for Jesus. Oop, did I just say that? Yeah. And Jesus says, you know what? You want to simplify your life? Come to me. Put me first. And you will find that life becomes simple. Second source of exhaustion and weariness and restlessness, I would just say sin. It's sin. There is a weariness and a weightiness to sin. If you're living in sin, your life will never be simple. The consequences of sin will wear you out because sin complicates life. Sin corrupts relationships. Sin consumes your money. You, Andrew and I, yesterday, we went to a, a local store, retail store. It's one of those stores where um, people bring their nice, gently worn clothes so that you can go and buy them for a third of what the people that bought them originally um, uh, paid for them. And it's amazing. You watch the people that come into the store to resell the clothes, and these people do not look like they're overly rich. What they do appear to be is overly consumed with fashion. And they seem to find their identity in what they wear. And so what happens is, is they go to the mall or Amazon Prime or wherever, and they spend way too much money on these clothes. And then they find out at the end of the month, I don't have enough money to pay for rent or to buy groceries. And so what do they do? They go and sell their overpriced clothes and get about a third of what they originally paid for it so that they can pay their rent. And then Andrew and I sneak in and then buy their clothes for cheap because we have money because we paid the rent early, right? So this is the way the, the, the system works. And so what happens is if you don't have a right perspective on money, if you don't have a right perspective on time, if you don't have a right perspective on your mission and what you're doing and you're not in right relationship with God, sin corrupts your relationships. It consumes your money. It complicates your life. And if you are a Christian and you are living in sin, if you're ignoring God's will, if you're playing outside the boundaries of God's will for your life, the Holy Spirit will haunt you down and he will apply a pressure, a heaviness. It's called conviction so that you will become so miserable in your sin that you will simply get so tired of it. You say, you know what? It's easier following Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, come on back. 
Come on back. I'm here when you're finished. When you're so worn out and strung out and broke because you've been living in sin, I'm here. He's just waiting for you to admit, I'm restless. I'm exhausted. I'm worn out living in sin. Here's the third source of weariness. First one was struggle. The second is sin. The third one is self-righteousness. Jesus was actually talking to a group of self-righteous, religious, Bible fatheads that had overly complicated a relationship with God. And they were laying heavy burdens upon the people, making it impossible for them to follow God. They were buried under the impossible religious standards of man-made religion. Listen, if you are trying to impress God with your service, your holiness, your piety, your seriousness, do you understand you will always be restless? Because you'll never be able to do enough good that God stands back and says, Woo, aren't you something? I'm so impressed. But yet you think you have to witness to one more person, pray one more prayer. I've, I've got to go to one more service. I've got to memorize one more verse. Now, God, will you love me now? And you're exhausted. And Jesus says, hey, when you're finished with all that self-made religious self-righteousness, why don't you come to me? It's simple. But you've got to get to the place where you're finished and then you come to Jesus and find what he calls rest. What is this rest? It's not laziness. It's not just laying on your bed and doing nothing. I don't ever have to, I don't have to, I don't have to, have to deny myself. I don't have to have to witness to anybody. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't even have to go to church. I'm so spiritual. I'm just sitting here in bed, just in love with Jesus. That's not the kind of rest he's talking about. He's talking about a relationship with God where you realize all of the labor has already been done. Now you work from a position of rest. I remember I grew, up, I grew up in Oklahoma and it snowed in Oklahoma. Oh, we had we had so much snow in Oklahoma. And, and every now and then, about once every three years, um, we would get about this much snow and um, they would cancel school. And, and we, they would cancel it early, like three days early in, in the forecast. Like if they said it was going to be like 31 degrees and it, they might have a snowflake, okay? They would cancel school. And there was this, this the, the, the announcement would come on the television. And do you know what all the children would do? We would rest. And we would sleep so well that night. Do you know why? Because we knew that tomorrow we weren't going to get graded. We weren't going to have any tests. We were going to have to face any of those bullies that would steal your lunch money at school. You just weren't going to have to do anything, perform for anybody. That's what it means to rest as a Christian. To know you're never going to be graded Actually, you get the grade that Jesus performed on his test. There's not going to be anybody to bully you. There's not going to be any impossible standards. There's not going to be any test that you're ever going to fail. Because you are accepted, not based on your labor, but based upon the labor of Jesus. Because one day he went to the cross. He took all of the sin and the shame that you had and he put it on his back and he 
carried that to the cross so you wouldn't have to work anymore. And now from that place of rest, now we work. Now we're willing to do anything. We're willing to move and gather and grow and go and do anything you want because now we're the church that has been loved and forgiven by Jesus. When Jesus is first, life is simple. But you have to admit, I'm restless. I want you to think with me about this yoke and I want you to look here in uh, this, uh, this passage. Look here in verse 29. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lonely. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. A simple connection. Andrea, could you hand me that big apparatus right there? Uh, I have a friend who is a farmer and I, I texted him and I said, do you have a yoke? And he said, no, but I'll make you one. And so he made this thing for me. He brought it to my house last night. Now, of course, this is, this is kind of a, an ancient, out-of-date piece of, of hardware here. And if you haven't grown up in an agricultural economy, you probably don't even understand what this is all about. But a yoke was a very important piece of farming equipment. What you would do is you would take two oxen and you would strap one in one side and another one in the other side, and this yoke helped them to pull the weight in the same direction. Now, Jesus said, if you're going to come to him, what you are coming to him to do is get in the yoke. What we fail to realize is Jesus is in one side of the yoke, and he's inviting you to get into the yoke with him. Now, the fact that he's even using the illustration of a yoke helps us understand there's still some work to be done. It doesn't mean that you're just going to lay around and sleep all day as a Christian, but it means that as we get in the yoke, it means that we understand there is a connection that we have with Jesus. When you are in the yoke, you will learn from the leader. When a young ox is first being trained to pull weight, what he does is he gets in, he's placed alongside of an older, more experienced ox. And the young ox learns the place, he learns to pull at the pace of the leader. If you pace yourself at the same pace with the leader, then the burden of the yoke is easy. It's light. But if you lag behind, it's going gonna, it's gonna to put pressure on your neck. It's going to be an uncomfortable ride as you're drug along in the work. If, if, you, if, if you try to race ahead, you're going to end up pulling in a different direction. That's not going to work out real great for you. You know what Jesus said? I want you to get in the yoke with me. Jesus is the leader, and you're going to learn from the leader. That's why he says, learn from me. And what are we going to learn from Jesus? Two things. We're going to learn gentleness and humility. He says, my yoke is easy, but he says, I want you to learn something. I am gentle and I'm lowly of heart. Any attitude, any action, 
any tone of voice in you that is harsh, critical, demanding, controlling, belligerent, and proud, you didn't learn that from Jesus. And it is a demonstration you are not in the yoke. And so we come to Jesus to learn these things. And we need to stop being content just learning about Jesus. Jesus says in verse 29, learn from me. He is the teacher. He's not just the content of the teaching. And so as the closer you get, the more you learn from the leader. Number two, when you're in the yoke, you pull in only one direction. And it's his direction. The fact of the matter is, there, there are so many other things that you can be yoked to. Everybody is yoked to something. As a matter of fact, there's a familiar verse in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that tells us that we are to beware not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The reason is because they are pulling in a different direction than Jesus is pulling. We're not to be in the yoke. In order to be yoked with Jesus, you first of all have to unyoke yourself from other things that are not simple and simply moving in the same direction as Jesus. And so it may be a relationship that you need to end. It may be an activity. It may be a sporting event. It may be some consuming things that are consuming your time or consuming your money that you need to unhook yourself to. That's why you can't do simply church because you're yoked to so many other things. But when you're yoked to Jesus, you pull in only one direction. When you're yoked to Jesus and you, you never pull alone, you are not just in the yoke, you're in the yoke with Jesus. He's the one pulling the weight. You're just along for the ride. And yet together you're accomplishing the mission that he's on. The other thing is, you're not just pulling with Jesus, you're pulling with every other person who is pulling with Jesus. That's what creates a church. We're all yoked together and together we can pull more weight than we could ever pull alone. That's why it is important that we attach ourselves, connect ourselves to one another to get in the yoke together. You never pull alone and you never pull a yoke that's too heavy. Stop trying to carry all the weight of your struggle alone. Together we pull the weight. And when you are in the yoke, you never look back. You realize when you're in the yoke, it kind of limits your net movement. It limits where you can look. You don't have to worry about what you've been in the past. You don't have to worry about whatever failure you've had in, in the past. Jesus says, come to me, get in the yoke, let's move forward. Let's get out of the past and let's move forward together. Are you exhausted? Are you weary? It's not because you're in the yoke with Jesus. It's because you're not that's why you're weary. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's why he gives us this simple invitation. Come to me. Have you come to Jesus? I mean, seriously. Have you come to Jesus? If you've been in church for any time at all, you probably gave a very quick answer to that yes. Well, sure I have. 
And you're thinking about a time when you were six years old or 12 years old or maybe 22 years old when you prayed a prayer, you confessed sin, God opened your heart, you were born again. Fantastic. That's the way a, a relationship with Jesus starts. You come to Jesus. But understand this. You don't just come immediately. You come continually to Jesus. Every day, you get up, you make the decision, I'm getting in the yoke. And I'm going where Jesus is going. I'm going the direction Jesus is going. I'm letting him pull the weight so that we together can be on mission with Jesus. It's a simple invitation every day. Every time we gather together, the invitation is there. Will you come to me? Will you learn from me? Whatever you involved yourself in this week, disconnect from it and connect yourself once again to Jesus. Have you come to Jesus? Now, now listen, I, we're almost done here. But I, I, I just want to ask you this. Have you made the decision to come to Jesus? You say yes. My next question to you is, when? When did you make that decision? There is a decisive act when you choose. I'm restless. I haven't found rest in anything else I've yoked myself to. My life is so complicated. My sin has consumed my money. It's complicated my relationships. It's corrupted my appetites. I'm so tired. I'm leaving that life and I'm coming to Jesus. When did you do that? When did you turn your back on sin and come to Jesus? It's an invitation. Jesus puts the ball in your court. Every time you hear the invitation, you make a choice. Either you choose to come or you put it off or ignore it and say, no, I'm not tired enough with sin. I'll do it another time. Some of you have come to this church, you've heard the gospel, and somehow you just think coming and being in the atmosphere of a church somehow kind of connects you to Jesus. That's not it. It is a decision to get in the yoke. Jesus simply invites you to come. When did you do that? If you've never done that, why don't you let the first Sunday of 2018 be the decisive moment that you come. I'm going to ask our pastors to come now. They're going to stand here. And every week they stand here, they're waiting for people to come to Jesus. Now, for those of you that are Christians, you know what I'm talking about. My question to you is, are you in the yoke? And maybe this morning you need to come first Sunday of the year. Maybe you just need to kneel here at the altar. Maybe you just need to respond to Jesus. Come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. If your soul is restless this morning, would you come?
as you come to Jesus, maybe physically to leave your seat and come kneel at this altar, come to one of these pastors. They would love to pray for you. Andrea's here. I know she'd love to pray for you. Others. I just want you to bow your head for a moment. Mike is going to sing over us. I just want you to listen to the Spirit of God speak through the words of these lyrics. Invitations open. Jesus is calling. Maybe you need to slip out of your seat and come to this altar. Listen to the Spirit of the Lord speak as Micah sings.